Mr. Cage, what is your favorite movie? Oh, favorite movie? Oh, wow. I mean, that that is, uh, that's one of those questions that's impossible to answer because, you see, 100 plus years of rich cinema, you can't just limit it to one. It depends upon your mood, uh, the seasons. All right, let's do top three. You, you start. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 180 and it is still Cagepalooza 2022. That's right. Uh, our celebration of all, thing Nick, all things Nick Cage of the month of August. Joining me in celebration, Dennis from the Botch Podcast, the world's okayest DM. Dennis, how are you? Hello. Uh, as you and I discussed before the show, I'm in a great deal of pain, but happy to be here <laughs> and happy to have watched this Nick Cage movie. Yes. Uh, for those of you out there, don't use gardening gloves to pull up poison ivy. Just don't. It's a bad idea. Especially not like 20 square feet of it. Yeah. You know, it's a bad idea. Uh, so you suggested this one and neither of us had seen it before. It is a brand new movie this year uh, called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And it's starring Nick Cage. And... Uh, this was a great suggestion. So Nick yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Nicholas Cage stars as Nick Cage, um, and he play, he is playing a version of himself. There's actually two versions of himself in this movie. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, we're going to spoil it. So just be ready for that. Uh, I don't normally care about spoiler warnings so much on the show because most of the movies are older. This one being brand new, I just want to let you know that uh, we are going to be spoiling it. We're going to be discussing the movie, but this felt like such a great. Uh, choice for this particular part of my show this movie fits it perfectly i almost feel like like the concept for this movie came out of somebody saw or or realized that nick cage is getting celebrated on the internet a bunch and mm -hmm. uh, my show being one of the ones that does it and it fit perfectly so before we dive into the movie itself uh, what was your, um, what kind of background did you have knowing anything about the movie prior to it coming out so I had seen the trailer. Uh, I forget who somebody had shared it with me. And I was like, this looks amazing because it looks like they're just going full in on all of the inside Nick Cage jokes. Like all the stuff everybody talks about. They're like, anytime you get a movie where somebody's playing themselves, it's usually a good time or it's like a fun idea. Like mm -hmm. I didn't see the movie, but I've heard good things about like JCVD yep. where like. He's in a bank and people expect him to do a thing. And he's like, I don't know. There's one with Bruce Campbell where he's just Bruce Campbell and people think he's going to kill a monster or something like that. He's yes. like, I'm not Bruce Campbell. So like anytime movies do that, it's it's typically like a, a pretty fun uh, little romp. And just from the trailer, I was I was I was in I was in from the get go and I really wanted to see it. And I didn't get around to it while I was in theaters. And when you and I were talking about coming on for Nick Cage month, I was like, oh, please let that not be seen by anybody else. And it was available. So I was like, yes, we're doing that one. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, same thing. Like I had heard rumblings of this a couple of years ago um, that there was a movie that Nick Cage was going to play himself in a movie. And it's sort of the the rumors 
ran around for a little bit and then they kind of died off and then COVID hit and it was supposed to come out, uh, I think a year earlier or a few months earlier, got pushed back. Um, and eventually it came out, but it was the same thing. It's like that wonderful, I'm a, I'm a sucker for actor plays some weird hyper hyperized version of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's a cameo, right? It's, it's like, uh, Julia Roberts in Ocean's 12 is that, or, um, Bill Murray in Zombieland, Bill Murray in Zombieland. One of my favorites is, um, Patrick Stewart in the show extras with, okay. uh, it was, it was a Ricky Gervais, uh, HBO show, I think. Uh, Patrick, oh, is that the one where he, pl- where he's doing the screenplay about every woman's clothes fall off? Yes. I just saw that clip yesterday, actually. <laughs> it's it's so great because it's just such a funny version of Patrick Stewart. And it's so it's yeah. so out of the realm of like what he's normally like. And it's just yeah. that's that absurdity. Uh, another good one is John Malkovich in Being John Malkovich. Um, True. Playing himself along with a few other versions of himself. But like I love that. There's something fun about that because I, I like an actor um, or sometimes a director. Like Kevin Smith does it all the time, playing, making fun mm. of himself and playing yeah. himself. Um, and just being able to like be self-aware and, and cage is that guy, right? He, yeah, this movie, it, it pokes fun a little bit at himself and he was actually reluctant to do it. Um, oh. he, he turned down they, so the, the director and co-writer, um, sent him or, or like offered it to him a couple of times and he t- sort of turned it down like three or four times before he finally relented. Yeah. Because the director had sent along a note with the script, uh, and he read the note, and that was enough for him to then read through the script. There's a great interview with Cage uh, about the movie where he's talking about, I read the note, and then I read the script, and the first third of the script, I was terrified. (laughs) And suddenly, somewhere in Acts 2 and 3, I realized that the adventure that he was taking us on in this story... And mm-hmm. he f- he fell into it, and he was great. He was happy to do it at that point. But like, yeah, okay. he was. It wasn't the type of thing where like this was his idea, and he fostered it. He did to help produce it, um, mm. but it wasn't. Uh, and I can understand a little bit of being reluctant, maybe to play that role if you don't. Sure. If you don't exactly know what it is, like the thing he would say in interviews is, you know, his friends would tell him about it, and like agents and people would tell him about. It. Oh, there's this script they've written, and it's got you in it, and. You're playing yourself and all this, and and I mean, if if I were that, I would be like, I what? No, that doesn't make any sense. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. Um, but I'm glad that he came around on it. And what I liked was, all of these are always like not exactly the actor, right? It's always a sure. version of that actor. Sure. And this was cool because they really made it a fictionalized. Like, yes, it's Nick Cage. But if you paid attention to the end credits, he's Nick with a K, an I-C-K cage. Uh, okay. Uh, which I thought was clever. Um, and like he's he is the Nicolas Cage that we know, but like the version that people think of when they think of Nick Cage, if that makes hmm. sense. Like, okay. Like the way he acts as himself is the way that a hmm. lot of us would think that's what Nick Cage must be like. You know, the yeah. real, like, really eccentric, really out there. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's like he had, I mean, people probably think that because his earlier movies were just absolute, like, his characters were just absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. And that's, like, part of why people, you know, his stuff more recently, well, maybe not more recently because Mandy's a thing. But, like, a lot of his stuff ends up getting, like, kind of, like, not 
not mellow, but he's just like, it's just kind of, you know, whatever. Even when he's like killing the murder robots in that one movie, I forget what it's called. Um, he's pretty like even keeled the whole movie. Yeah. While he's doing that. Like, so he's, I mean, you, you could easily see one of his older movie characters being plopped into that role and just being absolutely crazy while he does it. But he was just pretty even killed. Like, okay, it's just a normal day at work kind of thing. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we were uh, covering Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, um, my guest Phil and I were talking about, like, the thing with Nick Cage is he always makes choices. There are choices he makes going into a, a, a role and then he runs with them, whether it's... Mm-hmm. Whether it's the crazy choices he made in Vampire's Kiss uh, and yep. the, the stuff that he did there, Mandy is a great one. That's that's a great performance straight across, but he has he has that moment where he just has the complete meltdown. Yep. And um, Willy's Wonderland, the one that you just mentioned, he made mm-hmm. that choice to play it with no dialogue and just very stoic the whole time. Um, yeah. This, I liked some of the choices that they made as far as like portraying him and this idea that because so many people would fall into this trope of Nick Cage is a horrible actor, right? Because of some of the movies that he made, he's not a bad sure. actor. He's a very good no. actor. Um, yeah. He's been in some he movies. Just says, it just seems like he says yes to everything. Cause like he's in a ton of terrible movies, mm-hmm. but he's been in like really like national treasure is really good. Um, the rock is really, I mean that that's like a classic nineties action movie, but like, most of the time, like the big movies that he's been in, like the ones even they, they talked about in this, like Face Off, like he plays two different characters in that movie. Yeah. And like while the premise is kind of goofy, like his performance is still really good in it. And most of the time, like the bigger movies, his acting is really, really good in those movies. It's just he also does a lot of like, I don't want to call him cash grabby, but it's just sort of like, eh, I got to pay the bills. I'll just say yes to this movie. It feels like like there was some. Some kung fu movie, I forget, where he fought like a robot from the future or something. I don't remember what it was called. but Oh, there could be. I mean, he's he has done a lot. And yeah, there are times where it feels like, yeah, sure, he's just taking stuff for a paycheck. What I like yeah. is even when even when it's a movie, let's say Season of the Witch, right? Where mm-hmm. like you, you can kind of tell this feels like a movie he just said, sure, I'll do it, whatever. Yeah. He still doesn't phone it in. He's never boring on screen, even when he's no. extremely subdued, like um, city of angels was one I just saw last week for the first time. And it's mm-hmm. that movie came out in the height of his, the rock con air face off era. Yep. And yep. it's so like just completely diametrically opposite oh, yeah. of what he had been doing. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I love an actor that wants to do different things. And he's got this ability to like, I'm going to go in these different directions and try stuff out yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, it, it helps. Uh, his early career was helped by his uncle, um, but he did because his uncle is Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah, he's a he's a Coppola, um, but he changed oh. his name to Cage early on in order to try to kind of blaze his own trail and not trade That's on fair. that name. In fact, That's fair. this movie He's credited twice. He's credited as Nick Nicholas Cage for Nick Cage, and then Nicholas okay. Kim Coppola for Nicky, the younger version of himself that he oh, plays in this. Okay. That's the first time he's been credited as Nicholas Coppola since uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Wow. Okay. Um, so 
it's one of those where it's not like a, a huge secret. He doesn't sure, but he he wanted to make his own name. He didn't want to make the name based off of yeah. Coppola. But you know that gives him a little bit of leeway, right? Like some people are gonna sure. in the industry are gonna hire him because he's part of that family. But man, he just there's something compelling about him. He's got this weird charisma to mm-hmm. him that draws you in because he's not well, yeah. he's not conventionally attractive in the <laughs> no. way that that you would think of for an actor. Yet sure. he's he's not like he there is an intensity and an attractiveness to him mm-hmm. that draws you in. Um, yeah. So I just love I love seeing that kind of stuff. And I love like actors getting to do new things. And then when you bring in the meta angle of it, you know, um, in fact, I didn't even mention one of my favorite actors that played themselves is Neil Patrick Harris in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. True. And here okay. he is in this movie playing yep. the agent. Like, so um, that's great. And the meta nature of, of this one where he's, he wants to be known, like current version of him wants to be known as an actor. He he wants to yeah. take roles for the prestige and all sure. that. And then the younger version of him is like, you aren't an actor, you're a movie star. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he kind of hits that bottom point, especially when he's locked out of his hotel room. Oh yeah. Cause he's $600,000 in debt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which also feels like they, they kind of pulled that from his real life of like the, you know, spending a bunch of money, making kind of mm-hmm. poking at his spending habits. Um, yeah. one of his big ones I know is uh, cars and comic books. He buys a lot of those oh, rare, okay. rare comics. Like he's got a, he's got a copy of action comics. Number one with Superman. Oh wow! That he bought, okay. um, that kind of stuff. So they sort of well, used. I have to imagine he's pretty into Superman, considering he almost played him, which is crazy to me that he almost played Superman. But <laughs> yes, yep. Um, so I love that, and then for him to get this, like, oh, you're going to go for a birthday party. So let's get into the yep. movie itself. So, so Nicholas Cage, Nick Cage, is an actor. The, the opening scene is him meeting with a director um, and basically trying everything he can to get this role well technically that's not the opening scene the opening scene is con air because there's two kids watching con air and talking about how much they love nick cage yes and then they get and then the girl gets kidnapped which then leads into the the, because it's like a weird way to start this movie where it's like well i mean it starts with just the sound of nick cage talking i'm like okay i know i know this movie i'm pretty sure it's con air and then they they go through they're watching it on the tv and then they're playing in the background while you know that's all going on so it that was it's sort of a good way to sort of set up what's supposed to happen later in the movie the more seriousness of it i guess Mm -hmm. even though and we'll get into it later my least favorite part of the movie was like the actiony stuff i could have just watched like eight hours of those two just chumming it up oh yeah (laughs) no i'm with you um yeah you're right that is a that is a great way to open this very meta movie with the movie inside a movie being one that already exists that stars Nick Cage. Well, I feel like they were trying to have as many Nick Cage movie references <laughs> as possible in it anyways. And yeah, they so they had to put Con Air in there. I don't know if it pops up anywhere else in the movie, so they had to put it in there somewhere. It, it felt like, okay, how many how many of his movies are we legally able to reference? Uh, let's yeah. reference all of those. So it's like anything that's from a studio that we uh, we have good standing with. Um, 
So he meets he meets with a director for, over like lunch or something, and, and is just yeah. gushing over his uh, his script. That yeah. uh, by the way, that director is played by David Gordon Green. Um, okay, he is a director. He is responsible for um, Halloween and Halloween Kills, the two most recent Halloween movies, as well as. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, he did a movie with Nicolas Cage in 2013 called Joe. Um, okay. That Cage has actually, I have not seen it yet. It's one that I want to see. Um, so I'm probably. I've heard of it. I'm, I'm thinking maybe next next August uh, that I'm going to put that one on the list. It's, okay. Cage says it's one of his most personal performances. Oh. Um, okay. And now the original script called for the director to be played by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, okay. Uh, and then they ended up, I think because of COVID and changing of schedules and everything, they couldn't get him. And so that's, mm-hmm. they, they ended up going with David Gordon Green, which I liked because I know who that is. But sure. I, a lot of people, like your average moviegoer is not going to recognize him. Um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, but I, I just, I was just like, okay, he could be a director. He looks like a director. Yeah. And that was, a, <laughs> that was a fun scene because normally. Y- in movies, especially, you don't normally see like the movie star, the actor, really trying hard to get the role the way that Cage yeah. was. Like it's directors sure. trying to. It's usually the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And and I loved that uh, he he's like, well, you know, I could I could read for you. It's like, no, you you don't need to read for me. That's okay. Well, I mean, you're right. I don't need to read for you. No, no, no. But I mean, I could. And then he just decides to do it anyway, and just right there at the car. <laughs> Well, I wasn't really expecting that scene to go that way. Like when he slammed the car, I thought he was going to have like, you know, a normal for, you know, moviegoer anyways, Nick Cage snap and just Mm -hmm. get like angry about something. But he was (laughs) doing the read on the spot. And I was like, oh, okay. I was not expecting it to go this way. All right. Oh, it was great. And he. Uh, this is after he's talking about, you know, the Boston accent. I can do the Boston accent. I've been working on it and just (laughs) all that stuff. So good. And then for him to, uh, the director would be like, okay, we'll call you. Don't worry. And you already know he's not getting that role. Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) and, and so then we meet his agent, um, played by Neil Patrick Harris, who, Mm -hmm. you know, is your standard Hollywood agent. And it's great. Like, he's, I, I almost wish we'd had more of him in the movie, um, but it was like the perfect amount of that character. It's just Neil Patrick yeah. Harris. Yeah. You just want more Neil Patrick Harris. Cause sure, he's, sure. He's it's just like an eccentric character that was fun while he was on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if they put him in there more, he would have like overstayed his welcome. Maybe. I don't even know. Uh, <sighs> I mean, it's like, yeah, he's getting, he's getting whipped in the first scene with like, it looks like a <laughs> twig with leaves on it or something. I don't know. And like uh, he just pops up every so often for like a nice comedic change of pace, I guess. Okay, so this massage, whatever they were getting, what was that? Because he's they're, that was they're, definitely not a massage. <laughs> they're, they're walking in and and he's telling him, um, he's like, it's Fink, Richard Fink. He's like, look, Nick, you're gonna love this. This is great. It's super relaxing. And then the next thing you uh, see is Nick Cage getting whipped by some branches. Yeah. <laughs> I have, no, I have no idea what that was. It literally looked like just a stick with leaves on it or something like that, but it was all black. And you could tell it wasn't relaxing because, but well, Nick Cage was in pain. Neil Patrick Harris was having a different type of relaxation, uh, relaxation there where yes. he's just like, he's like, oh, yeah, that feels good. It's like, okay, he's getting something completely different out of this treatment than Nick Cage is going to be getting out of this. 
the best line of that whole scene is, is this supposed to hurt like this? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think so. Um, we meet later on, we meet Nick Cage's daughter, uh, mm-hmm. during his therapy session, which yeah. does the thing. It's, it's a tropey reveal, but I love this type of reveal where he's talking to his therapist mm-hmm. and then his therapist mentions his daughter. And then we just cut over and the daughter's sitting there and she's been there the whole time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that was one of the differences with this Nick Cage versus real life is um, in this movie, he's uh, going through a divorce and he has a daughter. In real life, Nick mm-hmm. Cage has um, a couple of sons sure. and I think four ex-wives or something. Um, I, I mean, that tracks. It made way more sense. I was like, does he only have one ex-wife? <laughs> I find that very hard to believe. <laughs> he also, the, the movie version of him has fewer tattoos. He covered up a lot of his oh. tattoos um, in this movie. Oh, okay, which I thought was uh, kind of cool. So, so we meet his daughter, and he's got a. It's hard to call it a. I mean, it is a strained relationship with his daughter, mm-hmm. but it he doesn't see it that way. He doesn't sure. grasp that. He thinks what? it's because he's so self absorbed. Yeah, like he he wants his daughter to like all the things that he likes. Mm-hmm. Really, what he needs is a friend. What he really, really needs is a friend who likes all the same stuff that he likes. That's what he really needs. But he's trying to just put everything onto his daughter while also, and they they talk about it a couple times in the movie. He just really likes to be the center of attention. Yeah. So he always brings it back to him some way, somehow, even in the therapy session. Like it all comes back to him and like, oh, we watched this movie. She loved it. And she's like, no, I hated it. But like (laughs) he just keeps bringing it back to him. Yeah, he can't understand why she didn't love the the types of movies she's got, you know, and he he praises her, but it's all these things that he sees of himself in her. Um yeah. So she's 16 or turning 16, I guess. Um which mm-hmm. I that one was one of them like all right, I'll suspend my disbelief. She's this girl's older than 16. She, I was, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was I, like <laughs> I honestly thought yeah, I honestly <laughs> thought the joke was going to be when he started his song at her mm-hmm. birthday party. So he, he shows, he does show up for the birthday party. He does. Um, and then gets, uh, finds out that he did not get the role, um, with the director. Yeah. And so then he starts drinking and he gets drunk. And after they get done singing, happy birthday, he sits down at the piano and is like, Hey, everybody pay attention to me now. Yep. Uh, but I thought the joke was going to be when he started saying, you know, I wrote this for your sweet 16 and her be like, dad, I'm, t- I'm 20. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, and, and that joke didn't hit. And I'm like, oh, she's actually supposed to be 16. Okay. All right. Um, but he sings that horrible song. Yeah. <laughs> so just, I oh. have a thing in movies where I don't like awkward situations. Mm-hmm. So like awkward situations in movies just make me super uncomfortable. Like there's yes. a movie called Dinner Dinner with the Sh- Schmucks or something like that. Oh, right. Can't, yeah. can't watch that movie. Just makes me so eh the whole time. Mm-hmm. But that's how I felt watching that. And I loved how they just cut the song and just right to a car. I was like, oh, thank God. We didn't stay with that for too long. <laughs> I am exactly the same way. And as, that is how I felt. They they hit the exact point where I was about ready to like look at my phone or something mm-hmm. to look something. away from the screen because my anxiety started to rise. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. I can't. And then they cut away from it. And I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Didn't um, stay its well. It didn't stay past its welcome. Basically, like didn't didn't yeah. go for too long. So after he uh, leaves the party, he goes back to the hotel where he's staying. Um, his wife is ba- basically tells him he needs to get his shit together. 
Uh, and then he goes to go into his hotel room and it's locked. They've locked him out. So he calls, no. he calls Fink and tells him, all right, the job you told me about for a million dollars to go to some dude's birthday, I can do it. And it's in uh, Spain. Yeah. And so he's got to fly to Spain. And he gets there. And then I love. You're forgetting one fairly crucial plot point, though, when he calls Fink. He quits acting and, oh. like, recites this big, long speech. And then Fink's like, I, I lost you in the mountains. What would you say? He's just, I, <laughs> just another sort of like he had this uplift, not even uplifting, but like very emotional thing that he wanted to get across. And then Fink didn't hear it anyway. So yeah. Just, just yeah. another kick it. So, so Nick Cage has retired from acting. He's going to take this one last job and be done with acting forever and yep. do whatever. But he'll get paid a million dollars to go to this guy's birthday party. Mm -hmm. So he gets on a private plane. He flies to Spain, uh, gets to the dock, um, and uh, there's a guy waiting for him with a boat. Really, really nice boat. Oh, yeah. And uh, he gets on the boat. He's on the phone with um, Fink at the time. He's like, hey, I'm on a call with uh, Los Angeles. Uh you know, blah, blah. He, gets, he gets in the boat, the guy, and I love, uh, so the guy waiting on the boat, it's Pedro Pascal. Mm -hmm. um, we as the audience know it's the, the guy he's going to meet. Uh, sure. But I just love, as he walks past him, like, hey, I'm on the phone with Los Angeles. I need to take this. And he just sort of, oh, oh sure, okay. And just hops on anyway. He's so accommodating. Uh, listening in, the conversation on the way out to the uh, to the compound is awesome. It's so oh, yeah. good. <laughs> It's so good. And because uh, he's like, look, is this guy going to want me to do stuff? Like, yeah. what, what is what is this about? This is kind of weird. There's three options and they're all pretty bad. And they're and, and the funny like, it's great because it's the conversation that he should have had before he got on the plane. Oh, 100 yeah. percent. But instead, we're doing the movie trope of him having the conversation within earshot of the person who mm -hmm. it's about. Uh, sure. But I'm fine with that. Like, I don't yeah. I don't care. It was, it was too good not to do. Yeah. Um, so he gets to the island and eventually finds out that the guy that was driving the boat is Javi, who he's meeting. And uh, we get the wonderful greeting of, uh, you know, the nice little bow. And Javi is Javi is a huge, huge Nick Cage fan. Oh, yeah. Loves him, loves all of his movies and uh, wants him there for his birthday party. And so meanwhile, we also find out that Javi wrote a script and sent it. To his agent, his agent uh, Fink never gave it to Nick. Yeah, just, whatever. <laughs> so, so Javi thinks that Nick is going to read his screenplay. Cage knows nothing about it at all, and uh, the movie then kind of veers into this really interesting meta thing because at a certain point, I think it's the next day because they're sitting out. There's there's a very there's another one of those awkward scenes at the pool. Yeah, but it's. Which that the lead up to the pool I loved because it's Javi and I forget Gabriella is that what her name yes, is? Yes, Gabriella. And they're having that conversation, and she's just like, "What was he like?" He was like, "He was just so cool. Like he didn't even <laughs> say anything to me. He was just so cool." And I'm like, "This is exactly how somebody would probably react if you were like a super fan." Yes. Even though he was technically saying terrible things because he didn't know who it was mm -hmm. and like was being overall rude and didn't really even talk to the guy. He was just like, man, he's just so cool. <laughs> yeah, so so Javi's totally geeking out. Nick Cage, Nick is sitting out by the pool. Um, eventually, Javi comes out and sits next to him in another lounger. And there's that great, like, huh? 
Oh no, I thought. I'm sorry. I thought you. I thought you said something. Did you say something? Oh, you did. Oh, okay. Yep. And so they're doing that a little bit back and forth. Uh, Javi's cousin shows up, um, mm-hmm. and his cousin was Lucas, and uh, Lucas knows who Nick Cage is, and but isn't geeking out the way Javi does. He's almost like throwing subtle barbs at yeah. him. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that's that's kind of how it felt, sort of. But sort I mean, I've poking I fun, but like, got a skeevy vibe from that guy. I was just like, all right, this person's not a good person. <laughs> it's the platinum white hair that he had. That's probably what did it. It, yeah, threw, it throws you off. Mm-hmm. Um, so throughout the course of things, Nick ends up getting up and just dropping himself into the pool with a bottle of booze. <laughs> While drinking. <laughs> <laughs> just mid-drink, awesome. drops off into the pool. So Javi pulls him out of there. And uh, the next morning he wakes up, Gabriella um, tells him, you have to go with Javi. He wants to show you something. Yeah. And basically and he's like, I'm jet lagged. I can't do it. And she just rips the blanket right off the bed and, and forces him to go. So here yeah. he is, presumably jet lagged and hungover, um, in like a bathrobe. Yeah. And sunglasses. And Javi takes him to uh, the cliffs and then starts like ad-libbing script stuff with him. Uh, which is great because the, the realization on Nick's face when he figures out what's going on, he's like, are you doing, is this like a a, a thing you're doing here? Like there's, (laughs) there's nobody coming after us and Javi sticks with it and just keeps going with it. Uh, but does it in like a bad acting kind of way? Like that's how good of an actor is, is that he can pretend to be like a crappy actor. Yes. And like, you believe that he's bad at acting. Like that's how good he is. (laughs) And and I'm telling you that that is a skill to be as good an actor as Pedro Pascal is and to look like that poor of an actor uh, yeah. is not easy to do. He does, but they eventually. Um, how does what is the line he gets him to finally run off the cliff? I don't remember oh. what it is, but they they're they're running or no Cage. I think just decides he's going to go with it. Yeah, he tur- He looks away. And then turns back and goes into cage mode. And he's like, do you love her? And she's, he's like, yes. I've always loved her. That's right. That's what it is. The, it, it finally trips the actor fuse. And he just is like, yeah. all right, let's do it. And so uh, they jump off the cliff into the water. <laughs> and uh, when, they fight, when they hit the water, Cage is like, I didn't know that was a cliff. That and was I didn't so know far. it was that high. We could have died. <laughs> we could have died. And that is sort of the moment that reawakens his uh, something in Nick Cage. Yeah. And uh, so now he spends the rest of the movie, or most of the rest of the movie, um, getting to be friends with Javi. And yeah. they, they chat, they talk, they have uh, they talk about like favorite movies. Um, the, the, the clip you played at the beginning of the episode, is mm-hmm. that's where that part starts, where they talk about their three favorite movies, which is probable... Man, it's tough. It's definitely one of my favorite conversations the two of them have just because of how it ends. So the strength of this movie is Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage yes. playing off of each other. Their their chemistry 100%. is amazing. Pascal yep. admittedly is a Nick Cage fan, he said. Um, oh. So being a fan of Nicolas Cage in general and then getting to work with him in this meta sense is... Mm-hmm. That had to have been... You can tell he's just having a blast. Sure. And... um so Javi, Javi eventually tells Nick that he wrote a, a script. Um, mm-hmm. I think later on while they're drinking in the pool. Oh, they're so plastered by then. <laughs> they're so drunk. <laughs> and so he he's like, oh, I didn't know about that. Well, 
do you want me to read it? And 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 so he sends it to him, but then he doesn't want to be there when he's reading it. He's yeah, too nervous. He's too nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, I think Cage, the next day, like heads into town and goes to like a no, coffee is that shop. night or is that? Oh, it's I think that, it night. Was that night. Okay, yeah, because they because they he talked about let's go into town and have a drink and and read it. And Javi's like, oh, oh right. I can. And then Javi leaves, so then he goes into town, and that's. I don't think that's the first instance we got alternate Nick Cage because I think we got one while he was in L.A. Like maybe after the maybe it was after the, uh, it was in the car. therapist session. Yeah, yeah. it's in the car. Mm-hmm. But the most I, I would say the most memorable alternate Nick Cage scene happened in the bar. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. We're younger, younger Nicky. Um, yeah. Nikki. Uh, is is getting on his case about uh, what he's doing and and. I love those interactions with the two oh, yeah. two versions of Nick. Uh, those were great. But he reads the script, and uh, then as he's leaving, he gets grabbed and thrown into a van. And it's the agents that we saw. So when he landed in Spain, um, there were a couple of CIA agents, we're mm-hmm. led to believe. Um, and they were, uh, let's see, is it Vivian, played by Tiffany Haddish? Um, mm-hmm. And who's the other one? Uh, Martin was Ike. Baronholtz, and they are investigating Javi. Javi is apparently a arms dealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they first see Nick Cage at the airport, and then sort of run interference to see why he's even there, kind yeah. of thing. Uh, but then they grab him after he's done reading the script, throw him in the back of the van, and tell him about um, Javi. That Javi's a he's a arms dealer, and he's a bad guy. And Nick's like, "No, he's not. I know him. My shamanistic. What was it?" Uh, it was um, actually I have the clip uh, of exactly what he said uh, his okay. acting ability because because he talks about you know as an you, your job is to read people, read uh, people. as an actor your job is to read people I know people and and uh, the uh, Martin is like so you think your acting ability is better than five years of hard data and research <laughs> and this is what makes this movie great is this this version of Nicolas Cage responds to that question. Again, you think your acting ability is better than five years of hard data and research about this man. And his response is, My nouveau shamanic acting ability? You better f***ing believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nouveau shamanic. That's yes. Right. <laughs> uh, so the, the CIA recruits Nick Cage to find out information. They're going to send him in uh, as, a, as a, uh, an undercover agent, essentially. To try and find the, uh, the uh, kidnapped girl. Yes, because the girl, in the, movie. the girl we saw at the beginning, uh, which was also mentioned very briefly when he got on the plane, there was a news mm-hmm. article before he yep. switched channels in the movie The Rock was playing. Yep. Um, <laughs> that girl was the daughter of, I think, the sitting president. I believe so, yeah. Um, and she was kidnapped. It was in up order for to, re-election. Yeah, she was kidnapped in order to get either him to, to drop out or something. Some political intrigue, whatever, doesn't yeah. really matter. Sure. Um, but the CIA wants Cage to find out about her. So, and they can't get into the compound, but he can. Yeah. Uh, which leads us to one of the sillier and more slapstick moments. It's Mr. Magoo. It's but, like, God, was it funny? Way. Oh, it was so perfect. <laughs> he gets to the secret room during during the uh, um, birthday party. Mm-hmm. He gets himself into the room. They got the earpiece. They're talking to him, and the guy's like, "All right." Uh, oh, 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 there's a, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're telling him there's a guard coming. Like, get the thing out of there, put it on your hand, pull the backing off. Uh, and, and then 
as he's walking out into the other room, it's a very Nick Cage move to just wipe his forehead and then point at something. Yeah. And at that point, he's like, I think I just touched my forehead. Like, you did what? <laughs> I, I think I just touched my forehead. Well, did you or didn't you? I don't know. But and then he like gets the rubber legs. Like, no, I definitely Ooh. did. <laughs> and there's this just wonderfully silly scene where he's got to get out of the room onto a ledge. Because he locked the door behind him. Yeah. Because yeah, the antidote's right. in the room behind him. Oh. <laughs> He, it's locked. So he, Where's the key in the room with the antidote? He has thirty seconds before he passes out. They're telling him to go out on the ledge, and the other guy's just like, "We're gonna, we're going to jail. We're, we're losing our jobs. We're going to jail. We we just killed Nick Cage. <laughs> we killed Nick Cage. It's over. It's done. I get to go work yep. at Sonic. Yep. Uh, and then that whole thing ends. He finally he gets back into the room, grabs the antidote, and he's just about to to jam it into his leg, and then he stops and he passes out. And uh, Vivian yells action into his earpiece and he wakes up and slams <laughs> it into his leg. And that's, that's all he needed. It was her thing of like trained actor. Yeah. And that was, it's so ridiculous and silly. And I loved it. I just oh, yeah. loved that scene for the, the absurdity mm-hmm. of it. Oh yeah. Um, so as, as things go, uh, we get more and more kind of buddy, buddy with, uh, with Javi and Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, Javi eventually brings his ex-wife and daughter because he thinks it's going to help uh, like the, with the writer's block. They decide, the two of them decide they're going to write a new script. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that moment where uh, Javi's like, wait, you, so you read the script? I did. You liked it? It was amazing. Do you want to be in it? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but then he pivots and uses writing a script with him as his way to keep doing, uh, keep spying and be involved. So they start writing a script, but he, he in just genuinely enjoys writing the script with him. And that's mm-hmm. where like that adds another layer of meta to this whole movie is they're now writing a script and the script that they're writing, you slowly figure out over the course of the movie is the movie you're is watching. Movie. <laughs> and it's so good. <laughs> yep. Because the movie itself, uh, changes tone a few times and changes yeah. sort of the style of it. And that's, and they're literally talking about that as it's happening. And it was so like, I thought it was brilliantly done. I really did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, then a little bit later on, we get that reveal that, um, Javi is not the gun runner. Yeah. It's his cousin. Well, they, they also did when they were writing the script, they're like, we need to, you know, have creative time. So let's do LSD. And then they go off and have their LSD adventure. And it was fantastic because <laughs> the the part that I laughed at the most with that was when they're sitting on the steps and they're paranoid that these two old men eating ice cream are watching them. So they're like, don't look. He's like, do a fake laugh. <laughs> he looks over and does the most crazy laugh while also having a weird face. He goes, it didn't work. And then they, they have the whole wall scene where they're trying to get over the wall, but it's too high. So Nick Cage has to go. And it's like this whole... Don't leave. Uh, I don't. I'll never leave you behind. But Javi's too heavy. Blah blah blah. And then yep. it just turns out they could have just went around the wall the whole time. But they're high on LSD. So <laughs> right. So they're not going to notice that. Yeah. You're you're much heavier than you look. I have a very large head. <laughs> yeah, <you have> large head. Oh, <laughs> uh, and uh, but yeah. The, so there's like there's that scene. There's the reveal of his wife and um, his ex-wife and daughter showing up, and then we find out that Javi isn't the bad guy. That it's his cousin. And his cousin is orchestrating the the original kidnapping. Um, yep. Doesn't and his cousin now believes that Javi is in league with 
Nick Cage and yep. trying to go against him with you know there's the whole kind of comedy of errors of like nobody really knowing who's doing what yep. amongst our main characters uh, and you're right it does it, the movie does go into sort of action movie mode for the part of a good part of the third act yeah um, which is I will agree the weakest of it but there's still yep. some great moments sure um, they sure. still they still manage to keep that wonderful chemistry uh, when they're when they're driving away so when they're driving away and everybody's in that truck and Javi's like, I have to go, I have to do this. And he hops out of it anyway. And cage stops it. And he's like, <laughs> no, I won't be, you know, I can't until, until I do like, he has that great movie moment speech and it's just yeah. Nick cage with the bow and he takes off. Yep. Um, I think my only real complaint and I, and I understand it because endings are hard. Wrapping up yeah. something is hard. And especially with this and all the things that were going on in this movie and the silliness of it, the way that they ended it where it transitioned from what was going on to the movie. I was like, okay. Like, you know what it reminded me of Tropic Thunder. Oh yeah. They did the exact same thing in Tropic Thunder too. I didn't even think about that, which is a clever way to transition it to the end to like finally end the movie. Cause like it switches over to Nick Cage and you turn back around. It's Demi Moore (laughs) and some other chick who's also not 16. Yeah. Looks like she's like 30. (laughs) But whatever. You know, now that you say that, that's probably why. Because I, I didn't hate that, but I think that it being basically what they did in Tropic Thunder is probably yeah. why it felt off to me. I'm like, sure. Eh, uh, okay. All right. And then, and then I, and then I was fine with it and we move on. But like, yeah, it was such a silly, ridiculous thing. And I'm thinking, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah. And to have it go that way was great. But the, the movie is a ton of fun. Like I, I honestly, oh, yeah. I was, I was expecting to enjoy it on at least some level because of just the concept, right? Mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage plays himself as a struggling actor uh, who gets paid a million dollars to go to a super fan's house. Like I was fine. The trailer, I was sold. The movie, oh, yeah. the movie's much better than the trailer even gave it. Uh, oh gave yeah, it to be there's there's like there's these layers and levels to the meta commentary and the humor in it. Um, he pokes fun at himself while also kind of poking fun at the industry a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like just the, the, there's a heart to it that a good Nick Cage movie seems to always have this like layer, level of heart in it mm-hmm. that he brings. And this has that um, it's because at the core of it, he just wants to to be an actor and he wants people to like being around him is essentially yeah. what it is. But he hasn't he he's sort of lost his way of being able to do that. And he finds he finds a connection with his daughter by the end of it. Mm-hmm. That's great. A connection back with his ex wife by the end of it, which is great because there's there's a scene early early on where he's talking to her about, you know, do you remember when when the three of us would just sit on the floor of the apartment in New York? It was him and his wife and his daughter. And that's what they're doing at the end of the movie. And mm-hmm. and I loved that. And then he finds this friend in Javi. Um, and uh, they make the movie, and the movie's huge, a huge hit. And he's, Javi can't watch it? Yeah. <laughs> that was so great. Javi's like, I was too nervous. Couldn't watch it. How was it? Did it, did it play well? <laughs> um, which is funny because Cage had said he wasn't sure he would ever watch this movie. Um, really? Because... Yeah. 
in the interview that I saw with him, he basically was saying like playing a, a version of myself and a version of my younger self and them arguing might've been a little bit too much to like take in and watch. And so he like, he wasn't sure he was going to do it. He ended up having to at least watch it once because there was some scenes that they cut. Um, mm. and he had, uh, he had some say in that the studio wanted him to watch. So, but, um, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed this movie. Uh, it sounds yeah. like you did as well. So, Oh, I loved it. Loved it. Um, the other thing with the end of that movie was a tie-in to, I mean, it basically harkens back to one of my favorite scenes where they're talking about their f- three favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And Javi says Paddington 2 is his favorite, and Nick Cage gives him all that crap. And then it hard cuts to them watching it, and they're both sobbing. Yes. And he's like, it's, it's, it's so good. And Javi's like, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> and then at oh. the end, his daughter wants to watch Paddington 2. Yep, that was a a nice uh, callback. Yeah, that I didn't expect. Like I had forgotten about Paddington too by the end of the movie. Yeah, same. And uh, and then they call, then they mention it again, and it reminded me of that scene earlier because it's yep. such a it's such a well paced and well done out scene. So, yeah, uh, yeah I very like much... the man cave scene where you get to see all the Nick Cage stuff, and it's grotesque. I'll pay you twenty thousand dollars for it or whatever. But like the the pearl, he's like, oh, it's very elegant, whatever he says, the yeah. very elegant like pearl configuration. Like just funny little, you know, Nick Cage uh, moments from other movies or like props or stuff like that. Because you could see like somebody who's a mega fan would have a room like this. Maybe not with a mannequin that looked so, so creepily much like <laughs> Nick Cage, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> well, and and so that scene was great because that was supposed to be where the girl was being held captive. Yep, and, it was the end of the LSD trip. Yeah, and so here's Cage trying to get himself into that, which which I forgot that he got that information during the LSD trip, and he's like, I can't right now. I'm high on LSD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he gets back there, and he's like trying to sneak his way in, and uh, and then all of a sudden there's Javi, and he's like, are you sure you want to go in there? What you're going to see in might not gonna... be able to look at me. Yeah, it'll change <laughs> the way you look at me forever. <laughs> And they open it up, and it's just great. He's got the axe from Ma- or the chainsaw from Mandy. It's I think Mandy. the axe from Mandy too. Um, he had the elegant string of pearls configuration, and he says mm-hmm. he delivers that exactly like he did in the movie. Yeah, it was perfectly done. And yeah. that that freaking mannequin was so good with <laughs> with the dual gold nineteen elevens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like it's grotesque. How much? What did that cost? He's like six thousand dollars. I'll give you 20000 for it. <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> and uh, then later on, when Cage needs to find uh, some weapons because the CIA tells him he needs to kill Javi, and they're like, can you get access to a weapon? I think so. And the next time we see him, he pulls out the dual it's gold guns. <laughs> now, that was in the trailer, which is a shame because I really did love that scene. But, I mean, it does make for a great trailer where they literally pull guns on each other. And they're like, I don't want to kill you. You're the last person I want to kill. I love you. I love you. <laughs> It's so good. Yeah, because yeah. because Javi, Javi's cousin is telling him he has to kill Nick Cage. Yeah. And the CIA is telling Nick Cage he has to kill Javi. Yeah. And they don't know yet. And so, oh, it's so good. I just... And the scene right before that is great where they're in the truck and they're talking about how, like, they're, like, really old friends where they could just see each other after a long time and pick up right where they left off. And then they switch shoes. Yeah. Because they like the way they look in each other's shoes or whatever, and apparently they have the exact same shoe size. And yep. It's just, and, but like you as the audience are watching this is like a sort of like a um, 
look at the flowers Lenny kind of mm-hmm. scene yeah. or uh, like an old yellow scene where he's just like, oh boy, you know, they're having this, but each one is having the same sort of thing in their head <laughs> where they're like, this is the last time we're going to talk to this person because I have to kill them. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. I, I like those kinds of scenes and it's great to have that where both of them are having the same scene, not realizing the other one's doing the same thing. And then yeah. when they're, uh, sort of can't go through with it and they start getting shot at by the dr- the the cartel people. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to run and <laughs> then we get that great exchange where he's like, no, okay, so you run to the truck and then you get it and you come back here and you get me. And he's like, I can't go that fast and these, what you've basically given me are penny loafers. Yeah. He's like, according to everything I've read, you are a faster runner than me. Yeah, I forget what movie he picked on. I want to say there was it, another was, time- it was National Treasure. I think. Yes, it was National Treasure because earlier in the movie, or he was just like, "You have to drive." He's like, "I can't drive." He's just like, "I heard you did all your own stunts and gone in sixty seconds." He's like, "I did." Okay, I'll drive. <laughs> yeah. So it was like another one of those sort of instances where Javi somehow knows a behind-the-scenes thing and like pulls it out. And Nick Cage is like, "Okay, fine." <laughs> yep, yep. That was uh, those were great like references because the I re- I remember it now. He says. Um, uh, something about uh, even in crappy footwear, you're still faster than I am. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he's like, National Treasure told me that. And he goes, that was the stunt team. Not according to the behind the scenes. Oh, you're right. And then he gets up to go run anyway. <laughs> and then Javi just goes with him anyway. Yeah, and then he just they both run. But... <laughs> he's like, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm going with you. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, the movie is, this movie is absurd, but in the best way. Like it is, yeah. because it never quite crosses the line i feel like it got right up to the line of completely ridiculous without going too far past that if that makes any sense like i i have seen similar types of comedies that can go too far and this i have always said that the best form of parody is uh from somebody who likes the thing that they're making fun of Mm-hmm. And this is definitely poking fun at uh, at movies and movie making and Nicolas Cage, but oh, yeah. from a place of love. Like this was written by somebody who loves Nicolas Cage and his movies and Cage having input. And um, it's like it's a love letter to Nick Cage in a lot of ways. And, but in like the best way possible. And I do think it was funny that at one point Cage um, said that he wanted, he actually thought he should play Javi. Oh. And that he should be the the super fan of his own Mm -hmm. character, of his own uh, himself, which I kind of almost want to see. Like, I want to see some sort of a role reversal of these two. Sure. Just because (laughs) the the downside is you wouldn't be able to use clips from any of Nicolas Cage's movies without reshooting them. So. It gets what, more expensive. Yeah, I was going to say, just reshoot the scene and just like, or just digitally put in oh, that's Pedro true. Pascal. Nowadays, in, you can deep fake that enough. Yeah. Um, but I read that and I was like, I kind of want to see that version just to see how <laughs> crazy that would be. Sure. Um, oh, God, yeah. But uh, it's just fun. Like, I love movies that, that have fun. And you can tell everybody involved is really enjoying what they're doing. Um, yeah, I did also read that Demi Moore was cast, but it was originally going to be Angelina Jolie. Okay, to be the movie version okay. of his wife, and then it's kind of the same thing with Tarantino. They they had to change plans, and so they went sure. with Demi Moore. Um, 
which I almost like, I didn't recognize her at first. It took me a second. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen Demi Moore yeah. in anything. Um, so it's like, Oh, Demi Moore. Okay. Wasn't expecting that, but fair <laughs> enough. So here's a question for you. Uh, in terms of actors playing themselves in a movie, whether it's cameo or again, it's usually like a side character or a cameo. You don't normally, until the last few years, really get like a whole movie based around that. Although you sure. mentioned JCVD and My Name Is Bruce, which are two great versions of that. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, where would this fall in terms of like actors playing themselves in a movie or you know role for you? I mean, uh, of the ones that I've seen or heard about, this one's definitely the most fun. Like, I could watch that first two-thirds of that movie on repeat over and over and over and never get tired of, yeah, Nick Cage smooches are good. <laughs> yeah. like, never get tired of any of that stuff. Like, it was just fun uh, and ridiculous, but like, as you said, not too, too ridiculous. Like, it didn't cross a line where it just got hokey or anything like that. It still took itself serious, even though... So I would say this is probably the best one that I've seen anyways. Um, nothing's coming to mind that I think are better, but they're like the ones mentioned before, like JCVD, very different feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Bruce, pretty much very different feel to it because it's like his normal B horror movie kind of thing that he usually does. Yeah. Um, so they're all different. I don't know if I've ever seen one quite like this. I'd have to really think on that one to figure out, okay, where was a movie where somebody played themselves and like had a whole turnaround, like an arc by the end of it or something like that. And I can't, can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah. Cause usually, like I say, it's a cameo appearance. It's like Malkovich yeah. in being John Malkovich doesn't have a, mm-hmm. an arc. He's just there. Yeah. Um, sure. The one with Patrick Stewart, he's playing a caricature. He's like a two dimensional version of Patrick Stewart. That's my favorite yeah. still just because sure. it's Patrick Stewart. <laughs> and it's just yeah. the ridiculousness of like, that whole premise. Um, but mm-hmm. this, this in terms of the movie ones, um, I put it right there with my name is Bruce. I really enjoyed my name is Bruce for the, a lot okay. of the same reasons. Um, I think this is, this feels like that felt like somebody, same type of thing where somebody was such a fan of Bruce Campbell and Bruce Campbell's mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell is so in on the joke anyway, Oh yeah, that, that, that works. And Nick Cage is a lot like that. Nick Cage is in on the joke. Like he knows, he knows that some of the stuff he does is ridiculous. Um, my favorite thing, and I've brought it up just about every cage episode since the, since we watched vampires kiss is the, um, commentary track. And if you, if you go on YouTube, I think you can still find some clips that have the commentary he did with the director several years after the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, for vampires kiss where there's scenes. He's like, I'm not even sure what I was doing here. Like, I don't know what I was going for exactly. <laughs> I think it just seemed like, like a good idea at the time. Seems like a good idea at the time. Yeah. So like <laughs> he is just somehow like, he's just great at being in on the joke and knowing what's going yeah. on and being self-aware. And I think that's part of what I like about him so much. So I, yeah. I put this right on par with my name is Bruce for me. Like I love both these movies. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, Amy in the chat brings up uh, Sir Ian McKellen on extras is somehow even better than Patrick Stewart was. And now I have to, I have to go find that scene again because I, I think I remember it. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, so by the okay. way, another movie reference that I loved is at the very end of the movie. He's talking about his belt 
I'm like, why'd you get a tarantula? He's like, well, they wanted to have bees. I was like, not the bees, not the bees. And I was like, ah. <laughs> See that right there. Again, that's somebody who he knows. He knows. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, he has the internet. He knows. <laughs> so there was a sequence uh, involving um, Nicolas Cage. Let's see. A sequence involving Nicolas Cage reprising uh, some of his most iconic roles like Face Off, Con Air, Leaving Las Vegas, and Gone in 60 Seconds in a long black and white fight sequence between him and his younger self in a surrealist German expressionist set evoking the cabinet of Dr. Calgary was cut from the film as the studio thought it didn't fit the third act. According to the cage, the deleted scene will be released on home video. I would love to see. I want to see that. that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, re I'm reading that. Yeah, and it I was doesn't just like, really fit the third act, but I would prefer that over the third act just because <laughs> I liked that interaction anyways. Mm -hmm. And they kept talking about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and like it, to me that fits more than what they did with the third act. Like, I get that they called it out in the movie, oh, we got to have a kidnapping scene because, you know, it's for the studios. Yeah. And, you know, to get more people in the audience, blah, 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 blah. But, like, I like I like that idea. Like, what you just described to me sounds way more entertaining. It does, and it, so, it feels like what this movie really wanted to do. Yeah. Right? That was, like, where they were aiming for. Uh, and as I read that uh, the first time, I'm like, it just, it just got better the further along I went. Like... All yeah. of this in a in a German sur surrealist German expressionist back to give me that, so I can't. I'm gonna I'm gonna be searching for that. Uh, I wonder what else was cut. I'm curious. I, I I would be very curious to know because um, you know there had to be a, a good bit. Sure. Because I mean maybe if it's like that, it'll be deleted scenes that they'll add in. I kind of hope know? so. I hope that we find some deleted scenes. They they at least release them. I don't need a recut of the movie. But I'd, I'd love sure. to see those things because, again, Nick Cage, being the actor that he is and his kind of penchant for uh, for ad-libbing stuff, like I want to yep. see that because you know there are scenes where he and Pedro are just ad-libbing, riffing off of each other, and it's got to be yeah. brilliant. Oh, sure. Um, all right, so in terms of Nicolas Cage movies that you have seen, where does this fit for you? Does it, Is this a... Is this one that you want to go back to and watch again, or does that third act oh, take yeah. enough away from it that you're like, well, the, I'm going to um, knock it down a few, few points? I, this is definitely a movie I want to go back and watch multiple times, like show to other people, but be there while watching it, just because mm -hmm. I just had so much fun with it. Like even though I did not like the fact that they did the third act, it was still fine. It was fun, you know, but just the overall movie was just so much fun and like a love letter to Nick Cage while having him in on the joke the whole time, which I really enjoyed. This is definitely, I, I would probably put this up there in my top five Nick Cage movies okay. um, that I go back and watch. I mean, obviously, you know, Con, you got Con Air, you got The Rock, you got Face Off, all that stuff. Like those are, that's a different type of Nick Cage movie. Like that, you're yeah. going to watch those movies if you want an action movie. Right. This is like, a different thing where okay you'll also get some action on the end of it like that's fine but like i'm not watching this movie for the action scene at the end i'm watching it for pedro and nick just doing pedro nick stuff yes yeah that yeah. the bromance of those two was like perfect and just yeah I've, i said it before but just amazing chemistry like oh yeah they just they felt like friends that had been friends for a long time yeah by the end of that movie. i was while I was weeding the uh, the mountain of poison ivy today, I was thinking about <laughs> how did Pedro 
prepare for that role. And I was thinking about what I would do if I was like Pedro's friend, what would I suggest? I was like, oh, I would literally just have him dress up as his character from Game of Thrones and just go to a con and just walk around and just make notes of how people go crazy when they interact with him. Because like he did a great job of depicting how people fangirl out about Mm -hmm. or fanboy out about like, you know, like actors and whatnot. Like I usually am pretty good about not doing that around actors because or anybody because I'm like, yeah, they're just normal people. But there have been one or two where I'm like, okay, even I like uh, my friend Shannon Tucker, she teased me. She almost got Kevin Conroy to to do the intro of our show the podcast oh. and i was like if kevin conroy did the <laughs> intro to my show i'm marrying you tomorrow because <laughs> i grew up on kevin conroy that's my yeah. batman so uh-huh. like okay i'm gonna fan i'm gonna fanboy out about that yeah but for absolutely. the most part i'm like yeah whatever the, you know i saw mark pellegrino at dragon con last year while he's walking his ducks and i was like oh hey you know great job on supernatural have a good con bye <laughs> you know and and it's true because they are just people like yeah. they just want to, you know, do their thing. But but yeah. it, there are there are some times where you just can't help yourself. And you're yeah. right. Pedro captured that energy perfectly. Yeah. He just yeah. and it was like it was that perfect amount. That first scene is the one that you mentioned is is the thing where she's like, what was he like? He was just so cool. He's taller than you think, too. They always say actors yeah. are so short, but he was tall. <laughs> He's just right. He's just right. <laughs> He's just right. He's perfect. <laughs> He's uh, perfect. I, I I honestly see this movie. It was worth oh, yeah. the four ninety nine rental. You can uh, right now. It's not on any of the streaming services. Um, not the legal ones, anyway. Right. It is just out there for you to acquire uh, in some method or manner. Uh, but it, yeah. I'm, it'll be hitting streaming services at some point. And when oh. it does, watch it, enjoy it. I, take you know it what? In. I might get this one on Blu Ray or something, just because I, I kind of want it up on my shelf. Yeah, this feels like that kind of movie. Um, I mean, for me, it's it's definitely into my top ten, and I love Nick Cage movies for a variety of reasons. Sure, um, but this has hit my top ten, uh, verging on my top five of Cage movies because of just the love letter that it is. Yeah, and and I think uh, it shows. It also shows Nick Cage's acting ability because again, we talked about like as a good actor, it's hard to portray bad acting. Mm-hmm. Um, like it takes skill to be able to do that. When you're good at something, it's hard to then pretend to not be good at it. That's why, like, yeah. you can tell when you see a movie or a TV show where somebody is uh, as as an athlete or a musician and they're trying to be bad at it. You can tell if they've had training prior or not. Mm-hmm. Like the you just you just can't. Um, yeah. So I, I love that aspect of it. And and Cage's performance is really good in this all the way through. There's yeah, there's that heart that is in the the base of it. Um, and his, his desire to do this movie is mm-hmm. what makes it work. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple other clips I definitely want to play. So we sure. talked about his nouveau shamanistic, uh, acting ability, <laughs> which is just great. Cause um, then he brings it up later. Yeah. Cause he's just like, I knew it. My nouveau shaman. I knew I should have trusted my nouveau shamanistic <laughs> ability. I was just like. Um, Take that FBI or CIA when he's when he's talking to the CIA after uh, the first um, that scene where he nearly passes out and he's in the bathroom he's like splashing water on his face and stuff and and it's great because it was in the trailer of 
uh, you know, oh man, I think I might actually be pretty good at this. I could do this. And then they're like, great, we've got another mission for you. And his immediate He's response, like, nope. the second it happens, is just, <laughs> no, 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 that. <laughs> so yeah. good. So I had to get that. Um, you mentioned this one, and I capture fake laughs. I love okay. the forced oh, tell fake me you, laughs. Tell me you got it. Tell and me you got the one. <laughs> Nick Cage movies almost always have them, but they're usually Cage. Yeah. In this case, it was Pedro Pascal, and here it is. This is when they're paranoid and they're freaking out over the, the two guys, which then they, they see, and I'm pretty sure it's two different people. That no, they, it's the same they ones. See, is it the same ones? They keep seeing the same two guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that laugh like, just look over there and do a fake laugh. So he does. <laughs> but his face. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. His, his face, face is like so pained. bad. I'm going to look over and do this fake laugh. Does it. Horrible laugh, horrible face while staring directly at them and then turns back like, no, <laughs> no. So good. And it goes for so, that's such a long fake laugh too. That's yeah. what, it's just, oh, it's perfect. Because the setup for that scene was great too. Because they sit down, they're talking about their script and they're talking mm -hmm. about like, oh, maybe it could be like a, you know, a paranoid, what you would call it? Like, oh, are we being watched right now? And then Peter's like, are we being watched right now? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Are we being watched? And then it's like, uh-oh. They've put it in their heads, so yep. they just start, it just keeps going up and up and up. <laughs> yes. Those two guys over there. No, don't don't look right away. Oh, yeah. so good. Uh, <laughs> here is Nick talking to Nikki. Um, I think this is in the car. And I'm an actor. No, you're a f***ing movie star, and don't you ever forget that. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> there, is, there is a definite he difference. He stops the car to let him out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stops the car in the middle of the street and tells him to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there is a difference between an actor and a movie star. There is. That's true. Um, Nick Cage in the 90s was a movie star. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Cruise is a movie star. Yeah. You know, um, Nick Cage now, an actor. Yeah. Uh, well, like, he does, he does like movies like, what, is it called Pig? I forget, like where he plays a chef and he's like trying yeah. to get his pig back or something like yeah, that. Like actually, that is. That's what I'm watching next week. Okay, because I've yeah. heard really good things about it because it's not anything like you expect it to be. Like, you, because this came, I think that movie came out after Mandy. Yeah. Or something like that. So people saw Mandy and then they saw Pig thinking that movie, and the trailer's cut a certain way where you think it's this, like it's going this way, mm -hmm. and then it's nothing like that kind of movie. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he does, he does like really cool indie films. And then, of course, he does like garbage movies to just, you know, have some extra spending cash but you know whatever but he's like i've said he's always trying to do something like a couple of weeks ago watching bad lieutenant and i had heard nothing but like oh this is a terrible movie and it's sure. it's laughable and all that and i got done watching bad lieutenant uh port of call new orleans which i will always say the full title of that because it's ridiculous sure and i got done with that movie and i was like it wasn't that bad it was actually pretty cool <laughs> because it's Werner herzog directed oh and it's Nick Cage, and you can tell what they were going for, and there's some surrealism okay. to it, and there's okay, they're they're kind of like I mentioned during that review, but there's when uh, when you see something like um, the Trust or uh, was it Wicker Man, mm -hmm. and after the fact you read and it's like, oh, it's well, it's supposed to be a black comedy, and it's like, no, they were they were really kind of trying to make a remake of the Wicker Man, 
but you're yeah. now you're looking at it through the absurdity because of the what they did. Yeah. Bad Lieutenant, you can tell. Like, I believe when I read that and I said, you know, a, a black comedy in some ways, I'm like, no, no, this is Werner Herzog and it's Nick Cage. They were definitely like making a serious movie while also trying to be ridiculously silly inside of that. Like, I believe that mm-hmm. completely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially with the quote from Herzog, there's a scene in that movie that involves iguanas okay. for no reason whatsoever. Okay. Sure. Um, and there's a quote from Werner Herzog where he said, we're going to go too long and the studio is going to make me lose my iguanas. And if they do that, <laughs> I don't know that I can be a filmmaker anymore. And I read that, but I heard it in his voice and I was just sure. like, no, he totally I'm said that. The iguanas. Yes. And I don't know if I can be a filmmaker anymore. And I was just like, show me the iguanas. <laughs> it's so good. I'd like to see the iguanas. <laughs> yes. Oh. It just makes me want to watch <laughs> interviews with him. But, um, yeah, so like I totally believe that. Do you and think that's your that's what I like. Perception with. of that movie was changed because of what you had heard about it beforehand. Like I am a, a believer of if someone beats you over the head telling you before you've seen a movie how good a movie is, it won't be as good when you watch it. And then if somebody beats you over the head saying how bad a movie is, it's usually not as bad as you thought it was going to be when you then watch it. I would there's certainly influence there, right? Because I am very similar. I think that perception versus reality is a very big thing. Um, yeah. When I started reading reviews and talking to people about Thor Love and Thunder, for instance, after seeing that, and everybody's like, oh, it's too jokey. Oh, I didn't like it as much. It, it blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but how much of that is the perception of you're comparing it to Thor Ragnarok, which did essentially the same thing, but mm-hmm. we hadn't seen it before. Yeah. Now you've seen it before, and now you're seeing it again, and it doesn't hit the same way. Yeah. And so, like, there's that, and I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it made me appreciate the movie more. I had no idea it was Werner Herzog until I started watching it, and oh, okay. like directed by Werner Herzog. I was like, the hell? Okay. <laughs> Suddenly, this just got way more interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm sure part of it did. Right, because there's it's ridiculous, but like there's a whole scene in that movie where just all of the different plot lines all get wrapped up in one tiny little scene that takes place in the bullpen of the police station, with like his bookie coming in and the guy that's suing him and like all this stuff going on, and like it's just one after the other after the other all gets wrapped up in a nice neat little bow. And I'm like, there's no way that anybody making this movie is doing that with a completely serious tone. <laughs> like you just you just not. So yeah. it's it's hard to say. I, I'm sure that played into it because you're right. Okay. For the most part, when somebody tells me this movie's great, this movie's great, this movie's great, and I see it, it's okay. Although I will say uh, when I saw Shawshank Redemption, I was like, people undersold this. This is better than, it was, than I was told. It's my favorite movie of all time. And, and I, I hear that. I heard that so much, and then I saw it, and I'm like, this is better. This is better yeah. than you told me it was going to be. Um, so good. Uh, you know what movie I didn't have that to? Scarface. Somebody, people were telling me all. I I didn't see it till I think it was late high school or early college. Okay. People were telling me like, oh my gosh, this movie's so amazing. It's like life changing. All this stuff. Then I watched it. I was like, okay, it's fine. Yeah, I mean because that happens. People people talked about it too much. Yeah, like, you get it. Okay. You get it talked up too much. <laughs> uh, the opposite effect happened with Avatar. Uh, the Last Airbender, the M. Night Shyamalan live-action one. Oh? Uh, when I finally saw that, I was like, no, this is worse than you people told me. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I've heard... Uh, I've not 
put myself through the pain of watching that movie, but like I have watched other people watch that movie. I mean, I did it. You don't have to. Don't. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. that it's that boring and poor. It's, uh, it's like what with Dragon Ball Evolution. I had seen it because I am a Dragon Ball <laughs> fan. So on Botched, when we do our Monday movies, mm-hmm. I picked it because I had to get back at them for making me watch House of a Thousand Corpses. So, and I hate that movie. So I was like, okay, we're watching Dragon Ball Evolution. And they were like, why? Why have you done this to us, Dennis? I was like, so you could feel my pain. Yeah. I mean, in terms of bad movies, though, I feel like you could do worse than House of a Thousand Corpses. I have, I will admit oh, no. that I have It's no affinity. longer at the bottom of our list. <laughs> well, that's good. Steve has cemented that with the movie <laughs> called The Woman. Oh, It dear. will forever be the worst movie we've ever seen because it was the most uncomfortable movie we've oh. ever had to sit and watch through. And Phil didn't even have to watch it. He was out that day. Oh, so he didn't have to. <laughs> um, yeah. A uh, couple, couple more quick clips. I did get, sure. we, we did go off on, on a tangent there, which is great. Sure. I love those. I love, I love tangents. <laughs> um, this was a, just a funny exchange between uh, Cage and his ex-wife. Are you having a nervous breakdown? Probably, but I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. where he's revealing he works for the CIA. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something, and it's not going to make any sense, but I promise you it's the real thing. And her response that, is just, are you having a nervous breakdown? Well, probably. That part right before that, where Pedro Pascal sets up the, like, we're, we, we got to get over Nicolas Cage's writing block because he's giving me crappy ideas. So I brought your family down here to get over this. And Nick Cage says the thing, and Pedro Pascal's just like, that was terrible. Like, that, that was oh, I lost it at that point. That was yeah. so good because I didn't expect that reaction. No. Because yeah. it's first the daughter, and then it cuts to Pascal, and he's just like, oh, that was terrible. Oh, no. Yeah. And, then, and then later on it cuts back to him, and he's like, I think we're making real progress here. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Paddington Bear gets mentioned twice and I had to I had to capture both of these because I love okay. a good callback joke. But sure. the the first time through Paddington 2 is incredible. <laughs> I fucking told you. <laughs> yeah. And then so good. and then later on his daughter. Have you ever seen Paddington 2? And I was just like, oh, that's perfect. What a good I now kind of want to see Paddington, too. Even though I I never cared, thought about it until this movie. I'm like, now I kind of want to watch Paddington, too, just to see if I have a similar reaction. (laughs) Like, why would they why would they reference that particular movie? I feel like everything was uh, picked for a reason. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. None of the references in this movie were done by accident. So it does make me kind of want to watch Paddington, too, now. yeah, that's the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, this is a hell of a movie. Um, mm-hmm. I I certainly know people that wouldn't appreciate it to quite the level that we do. Um, sure, but I think if you're yeah. if you're a fan of Cage at all, um, I think you'll like this movie. If you're a fan of films right. or filmmaking, you're going to like this movie too, uh, because there's those layers of those meta layers that it goes into uh, are great. But um, yeah, this is a super fun movie. Thank you for mm-hmm. for bringing it uh, to the show, Dennis. This is thank this you is for letting fun. me have a reason to watch it because <laughs> I needed the excuse. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Uh, so you have mentioned botched a couple of times, but let people know about that uh, about botched and where they can find. Sure, it. 
So uh, Botched, a D&D podcast is a, let's see, how do I describe this? It's an improv comedy show draped in the loose skin of Dungeons and Dragons with a little bit of drinking involved. Uh, we just, well, we've already wrapped recording our sixth season, but our seventh season actually goes live at DragonCon Sunday night, 10 p.m. in the Grand Ballroom. Uh, which will be, it's an upgraded room for us. So this will be the biggest room we've done botched in by far, but season seven, <clears throat> and you'll probably appreciate this, Travis. It's a Western fantasy because I want to do a Western really badly because I love Westerns. And they were like, we want to do fantasy. I was like, fine, we're doing both Western fantasy. <laughs> Boom. Excellent. <clears throat> and uh, I will be dressed as the man with no name. Uh, I literally have, the hat, which was very expensive. The boots, very expensive. The gun, I got the whole thing. And, you know, because I have a history of picking the worst possible costumes to wear in Atlanta in <laughs> September, this feels like it's just right for me uh, with the 18 layers that, you know, it has. But so that's season seven will be starting. I think it's like September 4th, something like that. You can find Botched on all your podcatchers. Uh, you can find us on botchedpodcast.com. You can find us on patreon.com slash botchedpodcast. There are a lot of websites that I cannot say on this PG-13 uh, <laughs> show that people have bought the URLs to redirect to our Patreon. I think the only one that is safe to say is freedomvalleyhorsepace.com. <laughs> I think that's the only one. There's like eight of them now. Like people just keep buying them and like, they're just all so weird, but Hey, there are fans. That's why we love them. <laughs> oh, it's great. It, it's great. It's a fun show. Um, you do some one-off, uh, patron, patron only versions. Mm -hmm. yep. Uh, you, uh, you allowed me in for one of those. That was super fun. Yeah. It was great having you on for that. It was, it was <laughs> I, I enjoyed the hell out of that. I mean, I'm a terrible improv comedian, so that was you, the, uh, you all had to that was carry the Garfield me. one, right? It was the Garfield one. Yep. <laughs> you gave me that. I was like, all right, we're doing SVU. <laughs> it was, oh, it was brilliant. It, it was not what I was expecting when we got started and it was so much better. Um, so that's, <laughs> well, I'm glad that that's a ton of fun. Botched is definitely super fun. Uh, you guys are, are wonderful. Um, in Thank fact, you. I need to get a hold of he who is Steve uh, about coming on here. Phil Phil keeps bugging me to get a hold of him too. I was going to so. say he who is Steve <laughs> is always down for film, and he is he is great at doing other podcasts and things like that. So yeah, you'll love having him on. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, and then you had something else you wanted to plug while you were here tonight. Yes. So I actually started getting into the comic book uh, foray. My first book, which I actually have laying here for completely separate reasons. Uh, it's not going to take it because it's going to fit ah, stupid zoom. Uh, but Lycan Solomon's Odyssey chapter one, uh, my first book in a series, it's about the world's first werewolf. Um, it's a series of 15 books. The first book is already out. You can buy it on my website, www.hiveheadstudios.com. You can actually download an 18 page sample for free to see if it's even something you'd like to check out. But mostly what I want to plug is on September 2nd, my Kickstarter for the second chapter in this series comes out. And if you want to check that out, even if it's right now, you can go to www.lycanbook.com. That's L-Y-C-A-N book.com. And that'll take you to a sign-up page where you can just get a notification as to when it goes live. And then on September 2nd, if you're listening to this after the fact, uh, September into October, it will be 
basically take you right to the Kickstarter page so you don't have to go to Kickstarter and search for it. And that's the, the second book in the series. It's a little bit after this first book. I don't want to give anything away or anything like that, but you start to build out the world of magic and you get into Saudi Arabian uh, mythology and folklore and monsters and stuff like that. And I really dug doing all the research uh, for that. So I'm really excited to get that book out. And yeah, I got all kinds of different Kickstarter awards, like a customized hockey jersey. Uh, Charles McFall likes to show that off quite a bit. Um, you get to die in a page. Also, Charles McFall. That was my favorite page to get made because Charles <laughs> gets to die horribly. Tony P. Henderson, a friend of mine, he had that. Another friend of mine, Conrad. So there's all kinds of different rewards and then stretch goals that you can get as well. So that's www.likenbook.com. Excellent. Definitely check that out. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for being on again. Uh, Thanks for having me. It is it is always a pleasure to have you around and uh, and talk movies with you. It's super fun and yeah, Lichen, two for two great movies. Yeah, likenbook.com. Check that out. Get on the the horn for the Kickstarter and uh, get on that. So so we are just about to wrap up our fourth annual Cage of Palooza on this show. I've got one week left. Okay. Uh, okay. Next week. David Luzader of uh, the Movie Go Round podcast and Hit Me One More mm-hmm. Time is coming on. And uh, we're going to talk about Pig. Nice. Um, he hadn't seen it. I haven't seen it. I've wanted to see it. Uh, I hear so many good things about it. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's a good way to end uh, 2022's Nick Cage celebration with yet another yeah. uh, really good one. Um, I, I just have so much fun doing this every year. I look forward <laughs> to it. It's It was literally just a silly thing I did. I started in 2019. I'm like, I'm just going to do all Nick Cage movies this month. And I I, I didn't even have a reason. I was like, eh, it just feels like a fun thing to do. I think I was sure. 2019 August, so I was about five months into the podcast at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's just become a thing now. Uh, and I love doing awesome. it. So thank you for being part of it this year. Thank you and, for letting um, me be a part of it. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, and if you enjoy, if you enjoy this show and you want to be like Ace Cat or Nisbet, Danny Orr in our chat, hang out live, watch it live, uh, Sunday nights, 8 PM, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. And the show comes out on Wednesdays, anywhere you can get podcasts or TV's Travis.com. Uh, and you can go to the subscribe page right there, get it in your Apple, Spotify, whatever, whatever works for you. Um, and that is going to be it for this week. So next week, Pig is going to be our movie ending Cage of Palooza 2022. So until then, thank you, Dennis. And thank you, everyone out there. And uh, enjoy your movies. Let's be excellent to each other. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>